Hi, this is Mark Wasserman. Welcome to the Skaboom podcast, which is the audio companion to my forthcoming book, Skaboom, an American Ska and Reggae Oral History, which will be published later this year. The intro music for this episode is courtesy of Paul Simonon, bassist of The Clash. Take a listen. That's the isolated bass track he played on Guns of Brixton during the recording of London Calling. London Calling was a huge deal when it was released here in the U.S. in January of 1980. Rough, funny, expansive. That's how music writer Griel Marcus described the album on NPR 41 years ago. He also said, London Calling takes in many different styles and yet is always instantly recognizable as The Clash. There's a wonderful sense that life is a struggle and that the struggle justifies itself. That only when you're in touch with a sense of struggle are you in touch with humor, delight, pain, suffering, anger. It's a very coherent record and it sounds just great. Listening to London Calling as a teenager required an open mind and a willingness to follow the band on an existential and esoteric journey through the darkness of recent history and the darker realms of the human psyche. It was a bit like a history and philosophy class set to music, and it didn't always make sense to me, but listen, I did. And as I listened, I found myself drawn more and more to the ska and reggae anthems on the album, like Guns of Brixton, with powerful calls to action and layered stories about characters battling impending social chaos and situations that were out of their control. London Calling was the perfect soundtrack for the dawning of the Republican fantasy of mourning in America that would begin one year later with the inauguration of Ronald Reagan. As such, the Clash get name-checked a lot in Skaboom, and for good reason. London Calling demonstrated the Clash's move from punk rock to explore the sounds of reggae and ska, and it resonated with other Gen X musicians in New York, Boston, Chicago, and LA, who were hearing ska and reggae from multiple sources, and also looking to raise their own voices. I know it inspired me to think I could be a musician too. In this episode, I explore my admiration for Paul Simonon and the effect that Guns of Brixton had on me, and I share the story of how he influenced me to pick up the bass. I'll also dig into that story of the famous smashed Fender bass guitar a bit later. But before we get started, check this out.
That's a very young Maria Gallagher performing her own unique rendition of Guns of Brixton. Her father, Mick Gallagher, who is accompanying her on the piano, played organ on London Calling, and they recorded this during a break in the studio. You can find that hidden gem at the very end of Broadway on the Sandinista LP. Unlike most Clash songs, which were written by Joe Strummer and Mick Jones, Simonon wrote Guns of Brixton. He also took lead vocals on the song, which is about the Brixton neighborhood where Simonon grew up in South London. The song captures the deep alienation many Black residents of Brixton felt about their dire economic situation and ongoing mistreatment by the police. The song, which was released a year before the 1981 riots in Brixton, was eerily prophetic. Simonon was initially reluctant about singing lead vocals on the song, but Strummer reportedly told him, they're your lyrics, you sing them. And the rest of the band agreed. Simonon shared what recording the urgent and angry vocals of the song was like. The vocal mic was right up against the glass panel of the control room, and sitting two feet behind the glass was some American CBS bloke. That's probably why the vocals came out the way they did. The song was always very popular live, and Simonon would swap instruments with Strummer, who would play bass while Simonon played some rhythm guitar and sang. But what's the song about? The song places Ivan, the anti-hero character from The Harder They Come, in South London. You see, he feels like Ivan, born under the Brixton sun. His game is called Surviving at the end of The Harder They Come. And he's also on the wrong side of the law. When the law break in, how you gonna go? Shot down on the pavement or waiting on death row? When they kick at your front door, how you gonna come?
The song still gives me goosebumps every time I hear it. There's a hypnotic quality to it that the weaving bass line reinforces over Simonon's trance-like vocals. Truth is, Guns of Brixton is one of the main reasons I decided to become a bass player, despite knowing absolutely nothing about notes, scales, or even how to read music. I had heard that Simonon did not know how to play the bass before he picked it up, which astonished me. But that was just what I needed to hear. And so I just got it into my head that I was going to play the bass too. Simonon explained during an interview he did with Fender how playing along to reggae helped him to learn how to play the bass. I mean, I only started playing bass when I first met Mick Jones. So by six months, I was on stage and I'd never played before. But I used to practice a lot to reggae because I could hear the bass playing. The only thing that was difficult is that when I listened to rock and roll, I couldn't really hear the, the bass as well. So, And also I sort of found that Bill Wyman, John Entwistle, who were sort of the bass playing people of the time, they didn't really inspire me because they sort of, I don't know, they sort of stood in the back. They were like shadows. And I didn't really want to play the bass at first because I wanted to be like Pete Townsend and get the guitar and sort of swing my arms around and do all that. So in the beginning, I actually pretended I was playing the guitar, even though I was on the bass. But, but now I've sort of learned to play sort of better than I could before. So, you know. And so, with some financial help from my very supportive mother, I ordered a cheap bass guitar out of the Sears catalog. I remember taking it out of the flimsy cardboard case it came in and looking at it with a mix of desire and despair. It was cherry red and white and weighed a ton. Like really heavy. It dawned on me that the idea of playing the bass was going to be much harder than I imagined. I remember standing in front of a mirror with the bass strapped low across my body like Simonon and plucking its slightly out-of-tune strings. The sound was piercing and metallic, and nothing like the fluid, heavy bass lines I heard on the reggae records I played in my bedroom. My love affair with the bass flickered almost immediately and threatened to go out permanently. Though known for his inventive and innovative bass lines with The Clash, Simonon was self-taught and did not read music. It took a while for Simonon to learn the four-string. At one point, he marked the notes off on the neck so he knew where to place his fingers. And after nine months of intense practice, he was ready to play on the band's first record. Although it was Strummer and Jones who penned the lion's share of The Clash's songs, Simonon's fluid bass lines often provided the glue that held the band's best compositions together. Check out this isolated bass line of Revolution Rock from London Calling.
Here's audio from an interview Simonon conducted with Fender about how reggae influenced his decision to play a Fender bass. And I think a lot of the music that I listened to or have grown up listening to was a lot of reggae. And uh, so with something like this, I felt better equipped sound to suit myself sound-wise to play one of these, you know. One thing that has changed over the last couple of years is uh, I know I've always in the past always used like a, a plectrum um, and then maybe for some in the clash in the, some of the reggae tunes I'll start using my fingers but in the last couple of years I've actually forgot using the fingers I just use my thumb and it sort of seems to give an even fatter sound and then somebody told me oh that's what Robbie Shakespeare does and I didn't know that so I found my route in my own way and uh, yeah no the thumb is uh, now I use the thumb practically all the time it depends on the number if it's more sort of uh, rock and roll sort of number, then maybe I might use a plectrum for more action, depends, you know. So what about that smashed bass guitar? Even casual fans of The Clash are probably aware of the iconic photo of Simonon taken by photographer Penny Smith as he smashed his bass in a fit of rage as the band were playing in New York City. The Fender Precision bass immortalized on the cover of The Clash's London Calling album was a white early 70s model with a maple neck. Simonon had personalized it by placing a skull and crossbone sticker on the body, done some drip painting on the pick guard, and handwritten the word pressure on the top body horn. Although the body and neck of the base were damaged beyond repair, the smashed remnants were deemed important enough to be displayed in the permanent collection of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Museum. And while this is now an accepted part of rock and roll lore, what possessed Simonon to take out his frustrations on his beloved Fender? Simonon provided an explanation during the interview with Fender. Um, there was a bass I had once before that was um, that was really great, and I had a spare one that was sort of much lighter. And the good one, unfortunately, I sort of smashed it up in a in a, I was sort of annoyed that the bouncers wouldn't let the audience stand up out of their chairs, so that frustrated me uh, to the point that I destroyed this this bass guitar, you know, um, unfortunately you always sort of, well, tend to destroy things that you love in temper and, uh, anyway, I should think Fender should be very pleased, even though I am destroying one of their basses, but at least uh, people sort of, I suppose, think, oh, that's, that's a bass guitar, you know, yeah. and I wonder what make it is, and, you know, so I wasn't taking it out of the bass guitar, because there's something wrong with it, it's because it was a great guitar. I don't know, it's been described that was sort of like chopping up the stage, which I suppose in a way I sort of was. But um, anyway, I still got the pieces. And uh, in fact, Strummer took one of them, was about to walk off with it, and I just had to grab it back. So actually, I think that belongs to me. And since so very few people were there, have you ever wondered what it sounded like when Simonon smashed his bass? I have. And after some digging online, I was able to find the audio of the bass being destroyed. It came at the end of the show as the band were playing White Riot.
some real musical history right there. I hope you've enjoyed learning more about Paul Simonon and his bass. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to Skaboom on whatever podcast platform you use. And please keep an eye out for my book, Skaboom, which will be published later this year. Take care.